stalking on this show before. It's something we're increasingly aware of and it crosses all demographic lines. Stalkers and their victims can be rich or poor, old or young, educated or not. And it doesn't just happen here in the USA. Just over the past week, a man was arrested for stalking and murdering his niece in India. A stalker in England set up a fake Facebook profile pretending to be his victim and then sent threatening messages to her. And on October 29th of 2020, the U.S. Justice Department charged eight people with conspiring to work on behalf of the Chinese government to harass, stalk, and intimidate Chinese citizens into returning home. Welcome to The Forensic Psychologist. I'm Dr. Joni Johnston, a clinical and forensic psychologist, private investigator, and your host for today's show on Stalking Protection 101. One thing our news stories make perfectly clear is that stalking can take a lot of different forms, and there is a diversity of perspectives on it. I am delighted to introduce today's guest, Dr. Mary Ann Janke, who is here to share her unique perspective. A psychologist and former Secret Service agent, she also served as a protection agent on numerous government contracts and was the only female to ever officially protect a foreign president outside of the United States. In April 2020, she released her book, The Protector, A Women's Journey from the Secret Service to Guarding VIPs and Working in Some of the Most Dangerous Places. Welcome to the show, Mary Beth. Oh, thanks, Joni. Thank you for having me. Well, you've came highly recommended, and I'm very excited about having you on, particularly with your really unique and interesting background. And I know that you have a lot of interesting thoughts and perspectives on stalking that we may not have heard before on this show. So let's just start out there with the basics. How would you define stalking? The way I learned stalking was at the stalking unit of victim services in Queens Criminal Court. And the way you know it was taught to me is that stalking is a pattern of behavior directed at a specific person that would cause a reasonable person to feel fear. And Joni, within that definition, there are four very important parts. So you look at the pattern of behavior, right? Because you can't just have a one-off. Um, that's not stalking. You have to have a pattern of behavior. And then you look at, at the specific person. In other words, oftentimes, even though let's say I'm being stalked or you're being stalked, oftentimes they will look on the periphery, say your sister, a coworker, a, a sibling, depending on how old you are, who you're living with. But essentially you're still the target of that that stalker. So that's the second part, the specific person. And then it's going to cause a reasonable person fear. It's called the reasonable person standard. It asks us to consider how any rational person in similar circumstances would feel in that same situation. And then the fear is almost like I put bold and exclamation point. That is the key word in the definition of stalking is fear. And, and fear is how we differentiate stalking from other crimes, say like harassment, which is what pre-stalking laws were typically prosecuted under things like harassment. Harassment can be irritating, but stalking describes behaviors that cause fear in that reasonable person. Who stalks who? Great question. What most people don't know, because we often hear about celebrities being stalked. So we assume that most people don't know they're stalkers. And that is in fact, not true. Most victims actually know their perpetrators. So that's a little bit of a sad piece of information, to be honest with you. And it's unfortunately for us, for you and me, it's mostly women. 
It's one in six women, you know, versus one in 17 men. That's a statistic that's probably about five years old, but I can't imagine it's that much different. Also, uh, women between the ages of 18 and 24 are the most at risk. And I think this is really interesting to share with your listeners because people are like, why? Like, why 18 to 24? And I'm sure there are a lot of other reasons, but coming from our backgrounds as psychologists, we recognize that the frontal lobe is the last part of the brain to develop. And within that, the prefrontal cortex. And we know that the prefrontal cortex is responsible for judgment, for impulse control, for pleasure seeking. And so young people, they're still developing until sometimes between 25 and 30. Also, because a lot of kids that age, they're still living on college campuses. So geography, proximity can make it easier for a stalker. The other thing is when you're that young, say 18 to 24, typically you've had much fewer experiences with sexual or romantic relationships. So you sometimes don't really understand how you should end a relationship or when, you know, or how to handle somebody that might be stalking you. Some people don't even know that they're being stalked. I was going to ask you that because we talk about stalking It's Mm -hmm. kind of slippery in a way, isn't it? Mm -hmm. What are the behaviors we should be looking for? Yeah. We're talking about a stalker. Yeah. When you think about the behaviors, there's lists and lists, meaning, especially now, because now cyber stalking is an issue. Definitely wasn't around when I first went to school because computers were just coming into play, but you can have anything. And when you say, what does stalking look like? It might look to you and me like nothing. So I'll give you this example the police are getting involved and a woman calls the police hysterically and she's there's a cup of coffee in my car okay she's freaking out and they're like ma'am can we help you you've dialed 911 and she just says he's here and when you what had happened Joni is she had relocated to get away and when she went to her car this particular morning a Starbucks cup of coffee was in her cup holder with her little nickname on there and it was his way of saying I'm here so what, what could be sweet and kind gesture from, say, a current boyfriend to her elicited so much fear because you have to look at the context of the act that's happening. So what might be to you, me, and the rest of the world, sweet, no big deal to her was like, oh, my God, I moved my whole life to get away from this person to start over, and he found me. I, heard, I know I heard a stalking victim one time calling the police. And she was saying, he's standing outside my house. And the police officer at the time was saying, it's a free country. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Anybody can stand outside your house. And I think that just illustrates, right? The whole idea of context. It does. And so when you were asking me, what does it look like? It comes in so many different forms. And for stalkers, it's any way to make you know that they're around. It can be phone calls. It can be text messages. It can be hangups. Hangups are very intimidating. And we can still, even with cell phones, still do anonymous calling, right? You can follow a person. You can watch a person just like a cop might say. It's not illegal to watch a person, not illegal to stand outside somebody's house. When you talk about getting more intense, you can get gifts at your front door, letters, emails, unwanted cards, vandalism, theft. I have heard of cases when I was working in the stalking unit of them leaving their dead animals at their doorstep like heartbreaking stuff. Heartbreaking and terrifying. Very terrifying. They can threaten to harm you. They can threaten to harm your family. 
So it just really depends. It depends at what level, how frustrated are they? Is it simply emails and cards, et cetera? Or is it starting to ramp up and he's demanding the attention? Okay, you aren't giving it to me here. So I'm going to walk into your workplace or I'm going to start talking to your coworkers about you and tell them what a slut you are or some horrific stuff that isn't true. I know people that whose reputations have been destroyed and they lost their jobs because people are blaming them, not knowing that it's this other person that's causing all of this damage. This is a big question. What do, what do you think about the psychology of someone who would stalk somebody or follow them or whatever over and over again? So stalkers, why are they stalking goes to that, right? So you can look at the psychology of it. And one side of the coin of that would be like, what are they after? So if you reverse engineer what this person wants and what ultimately they're seeking, they're seeking affection, they're seeking power and control, they've been rejected. So maybe they want to get revenge. There can be obviously an obsessional facet over it. The really, to me, the creepiest one, the creepiest reason why is with they're stalking somebody to attack their next victim. It could be a serial rapist. It could be a serial killer. If they're organized enough, they often stalk their kill their next victim. So they are looking for their prey. They are prey looking for the next victims. And then it's icky to say this, but a lot of stalkers do it, Joni, because they can. So when you look at the psychology of it, when it is a female, it's uh, typically a more mentally ill female, believe it or not. It's that erotomatic stalker. We have different types of stalkers. You can have the man that says, I do not know what happened to me. That is not me. I, I all of a sudden became this obsessed person. Like I was so in love with her that I couldn't let her go. And because he got little morsels along the way, like maybe she'd respond to an email, even though it was negative, it was still attention. And it still gave him hope that, oh, she's responding. So I think if I keep pursuing her, she'll come back to me. And then you have the other type, again, from a psychological perspective of F you, I don't care what you think. I'm, I'm just going to keep harassing you and stalking you. I watched a stalking video probably about a year ago. This was a British documentary or like a woman that does say an Oprah Winfrey, but she had four women who had been stalked and two of their faces were blocked out because they had moved several times to try to get away from the sucker. And then they had three guys that had done stalking. One was so insolent and said, I did nothing wrong. I just loved my family. Like everything he did, he was just looking at the audience and this woman, what's your problem? It's not me. Whereas the other two had done a lot of therapy Mm -hmm. and they did a lot of looking at themselves in the mirror and realizing what, not only what they did was wrong, but that wasn't them. And they wanted to change and go back, make amends for what they had done to these women. It is interesting to just see the diversity of responses mm. and, and interpretations and all kinds of things when you're talking about stalking. That's what I think what is it does make it Absolutely. challenging for in some on so many different levels in terms of how to help people deal, especially if you're a victim of stalking. How often, Mary Beth, do you think stalkers are repeat offenders? What I have found in working with victims is often they will be left alone because the individual has found another person to stalk or they found a new, a new girlfriend. So what can happen is they might be left alone for a while, but if that new relationship breaks up, sometimes he'll go back to the person he was stalking before because he will blame her for saying, okay, so let's say, for example, I'm dating John Smith and John and I break up and he starts stalking me. 
And then John ends up getting a new girlfriend and leaves me alone for a year. Then John breaks up with his new girlfriend. He might blame me because had things worked out with the two of us, he would never have been in that new relationship and then had his heart broken again. So he's going to blame me and then start stalking me again. When you asked me about the psychology and then you said to me, it's so interesting, the, the dichotomy of responses. And I think when I described to you that man who was so insolent about how he wasn't wrong and all he was doing was loving and showing affection to his family is I look at that as someone who would be personality disordered, say narcissistic personality disorder, zero ability to look in the mirror and say, my bad. So I would say someone like that. So you were going to have some people that think, I don't care what I got to do. I'm going to get what I'm going to get. And it, it doesn't matter what it takes to get it, whether she's afraid she'll come around. She really loves me. That's to me falls in that category of personality disorder versus somebody who's just lost their way. And it's so good to point that out because we hear so many scary things about stalking and rightfully Mm -hmm. it's easy to feel like, I guess what I'm saying is we don't focus, I think sometimes on the fact that there are people who are able to deal with uh, their problems or their issues or their challenges. And they're not all the same, which I think is, which I think is really important to point out. Like you're saying that there are happen people who have gone off the deep end or become so obsessed with one person and yeah. yet they were able to work through that or get therapy, whatever. Everybody who falls in love with somebody kind of obsessively is not the same. Whenever we talk about stalking, we always rightfully so, because statistically it's so much more prevalent. We end up talking about a lot of times people who've dated each other, been married, had some kind of intimate mm-hmm. relationship and they break up. Mm-hmm. And we know that the majority of stalkers, that's in the history of their relationship. But mm-hmm. what about the stalker who is stalking a stranger? So the one you were just describing is what I would refer to as the simple obsession stalker, right? The obsessional stalker. So that's where the inter- intimate partner, they were a former relationship, friend, boss, spouse, lover, coworker. But then you have what's called the love obsessional stalker. And not only does the love obsessional stalker attempt to live out their own fantasies, they expect a victim to play like almost like an assigned role. And initially what happens is the love obsessional stalker's motivation, it's to make the victim aware of his or her existence. But then later he or she expects them to reciprocate those same feelings. And then when the stalker fails to establish the relationship, that's where it's going to be that ramp up of activity because they're getting angry. They aren't getting the reciprocity they're expecting. And then you have the other kind of stalker called erotomania. And erotomania is a delusion in which the stalker believes the individual of his or her love, the you know, unrequited love, but they're going to love them back. Back, and that they're going to return the affection and that there's this, I don't know if you remember David Letterman, he was stalked by a woman named Margaret Mary Ray, and she broke into his house, mm-hmm. stole his Porsche, and she got busted on the New Jersey Turnpike. And she's, oh, I'm David's wife and going a- a- around as if they were this in love couple. And then sadly, because she was mentally ill, uh, and the erotomatic stalker does tend to be Typically, again, because we talk about delusions and hallucinations, so that's a break from reality. But she ended up committing suicide and she laid down on a train track. I don't know whether she decompensated more or whether it was just her answer to being turned down. It's heartbreaking and scary. True. And what do you think about the whole issue of mental health professionals? The whole Mm -hmm. idea of therapy clients stalking their Mm -hmm. 
is something that I yeah. think a lot of us haven't thought about that, that much no, you're saying- in the mental health field. Stalking can be a big mm-hmm. problem where you have patients who are stalking their therapist. And vice versa. And vice versa. Say it, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Because when you, when you look at from a, the, the, the client's perspective is there's the transference, right? So mm-hmm. transference, and it, it's so common that there's this, these emotions and these feelings that clients can have towards their therapists. And because oftentimes us as therapists, we have helped a person during such a vulnerable time. And as a result, they can put us on this pedestal of, oh my gosh, where would I be without you? And so it can create this very deep emotional tie to a therapist. And there can be anything from thinking that there's a relationship because, oh gosh, my therapist tells me to call um, him by his first name. And he sometimes hugs me and says, you're doing a great job. And I really think that there's something there. And so there can be that sort of misinterpretation of actions and words. And but there can also be something where it's completely imagined, just again, depending on the therapist and the client. And then reverse is the sexual romantic relationship with a client. And what I have understood that a lot of cases look can end up being a woman who's very vulnerable, who is suffering something very intensely deep, and maybe she's in danger, maybe she's being stalked, maybe um, she just went through a divorce, and she's got three kids, and she's really struggling, and she comes into therapy, almost like, Joni, I would call it almost like the damsel in distress. Uh And so that's when sometimes that can get confused from a therapist's perspective with a client. Yeah, I think the other thing to, to throw out there is this whole idea of revenge stalking. Because I had a, a mentor, you know, years ago who was a psychologist, mm-hmm. and she did a, quite a bit of custody evaluations. Okay. And she had done a custody evaluation on a couple and apparently recommended that the children be placed with the mom. Uh-huh. And this dad was having none of it. Yeah. And he okay. just began this campaign of harassment and stalking. Wow. And she ended up having to move a couple of times and she had young children. And so I think there can be all different kinds of motivations. We're going to take a quick break. I'm Dr. Joni Johnston, and you are listening to The Forensic Psychologist. What if a new treatment backed by 17,000 scientific articles was proven to extend our lifespan, protect against terrible diseases like cancer, heart disease, and dementia, make us more attractive and thinner, feel calmer and happier, and boost energy levels, memory, and performance? What would you pay for even the smallest dose of this treatment? The good news is you don't have to pay anything because these are just some of the benefits of a full night of quality sleep. If you're one of the millions of Americans who need better quality sleep, the time to change is now. Until now, most sleep aids haven't worked, but a new easy-to-swallow sleep gel invented by the leading nutrition company Healthy Cell is designed to support all four stages of human sleep to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deep, and wake up refreshed. It's called REM Sleep. To get a free two-night supply of REM Sleep, visit HealthyCell.com sleep. That's Healthy, C-E-L-L dot sleep. Spreading the out loud truth from sea to shining sea. 
AmericaOutloud.com is the voice of liberty and justice for all. This is not a fight of Republican versus Democrat. It's not a fight of rich versus poor, old versus young, man versus woman, gay versus straight. It's not a fight of black lives, blue lives, Hispanic lives, or white lives. This is a battle of good versus evil. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. We are the vision of the voices, America Out Loud Talk Radio. tend to think of the stalking as somebody who has some kind of sexual interest or some distorted love interest. But I think that we there are other motives that people have. Absolutely. And I have heard of cases like that as well. I haven't heard a ton of cases, but yours is now another one of that I'm hearing. So not super common, but certainly not uncommon. And there was a guy, I think he was in Arizona, and he actually went and shot several people who were involved in his divorce litigation. I don't know if you remember wow. that case. Um, wow. And I, I think stalking was part of that. So you're right. I don't think that's the norm or that common, but it is something I think yeah. to be aware of. Uh, what do you, what do we know about women who stalk? Yeah, typically, and not always, okay, but typically it would be that erotomatic stalker, meaning, gosh, this sounds, it sounds horrible in some ways, but they are the ones who are typically more mentally ill women stalkers. Mm -hmm. And it just is what it is. White males, that tends to be the the very first line of give me the profile for a serial killer, white male. And so for whatever reason, and I think we do things, I will admit when I was younger, like in high school, if a guy that you were interested in, like you might drive by their house, but it's all this innocent thing. You aren't, and sometimes you can make more of a, a gesture on the part of somebody, but it's not to the point where typically You're going to start going by their house day in and day out, following where they go, sending them letters, et cetera. But for whatever reason, men, whether that's driven by testosterone, whether that's driven by just determination, by true love, but women, I got, and so that reminds me of a story when I was working at the stalking unit, again, in victim services, this was back in 1999 and a guy walked into the stock stalking unit. And this is, this just goes to show you, but I toned for my sin here, but I'm telling you the sin, this guy, like total stud from Brooklyn, like very good looking built walks in. And I'm thinking to myself, you've got to be kidding me. You're going to tell me you've been, you're being stalked. And he comes in and he's yeah, like I have this new girlfriend and my ex-girlfriend is stalking us, hit them with a, a two by four when they were entering the house, like came up from hiding under the stairs. And Long story short was he was in fact being stalked by a woman and there was me, this young, about to get my master's and boy, what a lesson learned when I said to him, I apologize. Like when you first walked in here, I thought, no way, you've got to be kidding me. And by the end, I was helping him get her your straining order and apologizing. So there are women now, was she, I would say she was more just like a, a jilted lover. I don't know if she was mentally ill, but I would say the whole rejection thing can be tough for a woman that can can launch them into be a little bit obsessive, especially is he dating? And now with social media, Joni, my God, you can stalk somebody without them knowing they're being stalked on, on different social media platforms. Oh, ab- absolutely. Yeah. What that's not he- really my forte. I got to be honest. I understand cyber stalking. I know the many different ways it can happen, but not something I could say, Oh, let me join the local police department to help 
you catch them because I just don't understand some of um, how that works. I think that's a specialty. I do. That's just, yeah. just almost like a, a niche because it's so difficult. It, and it's um, amazing. It, it, the people that can do it are so talented because it takes both the psychological and the technological. What do you think law enforcement sometimes gets wrong? And I'm, I'm a huge supporter of law enforcement. So yeah. this is not, not an attempt to throw anybody yeah. under the bus, but these situations are so complicated. And as you pointed out, and we both know, context is key in these situations. And one of the things we read about more often than we'd like to is, oh, this is a person who's being stalked and she goes to the police and the police don't do anything, or she goes five times and then the yeah. person ends up getting murdered. And, and to some extent, those are, I don't know what anybody could do. But I do wonder sometimes if there are things that maybe would be more helpful for law enforcement to focus on in their evaluation initially. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, that same, that same, I guess it wasn't a documentary. It was a recording of the show in Great Britain where I told you they had the stalkers on the stage and the stalking victims. And they actually had a couple therapists in the audience, but the, they had several police there as well in the audience and they asked them questions and they asked them, like, what is it? Why is it that you guys sometimes don't take us seriously? And they, they had some really interesting information. And they said, essentially, for example, in order for a stalking victim to get a protective order, law enforcement has to prove that one person intended to harm another person. So they're like, you really have to show the intent. And that, again, you have to show that the actions of this person caused fear. And there's that pattern of behavior, et cetera. So there's a lot of pieces that it's, I understand what you're saying, ma'am. I know you're afraid, but I'm not seeing, I'm not seeing what's wrong here. So they say, be super cognizant of keeping track of the course of conduct. Don't just come in and say, there's a coffee cup in my car, right? Give me a little bit more. Give me the context and tell me what's going on. Yes, I understand you're scared to death. Give me more. In other words, look, if we, again, look at the law and then we reverse engineer the law, they have to prove that the individual's intending to induce fear uh, of physical or emotional harm. There has to be some, depending on where you live and what the stalking law looks like, because every state's law is very different. And we can talk about that a little bit if you want, just about when things came into law and stuff with stalking. They have to have reckless intent and tend to cause harm. Sometimes bullying has been incorporated into stalking, particularly when you talk about the cyberbullying. So that's what I remember about them saying that it was challenging for them to be able to get all of the facets of the stalking laws to be able to either get a restraining order or arrest the individual. What they also say is, oh God, this is really freaky to me. They say that there's a statistic that uh, a woman has gone through an experience or has been threatened 19 times before she goes to the police. So what, they're, what they said is, don't put your yourself through that torture, come to us on number two or three, when you know this is a, a pattern and that you're afraid, don't wait for 19 contacts. The, the hurt and pain and despair are so desperate, right? Come to us before so that you aren't already this far. And probably with somebody talk about somebody ramping up, maybe even in physical danger. I think that's such a valid point because one of the things I've heard several people who've been victims of stalking say is, I went to the police once, they didn't do anything and it happened again. And I felt they weren't going to do anything again. And I think it might be better to take a bigger picture perspective, which is even if that the police can't do anything right then, 
you mm-hmm. are putting them on notice. Yep. If you keep going back to law enforcement and you've been five times, you've been seven times, the squeaky wheel does get the grease, right? To some extent. Yeah. So you're, you are putting them on notice that this is going on and this is continuing. And then when something escalates or something becomes scary, I think that you have more ammunition when you yes. go in and ask for yes. help. Because those are recorded incidents. Absolutely. Again, if you, if any of your listeners have had an incident or maybe they are currently in a situation where they think they might be being stalked is I would say, number one, go look up the stalking law in the state in which you live and then reverse engineer it. What do I have to do to be able to prove this? Like when I worked in the stalking unit, we used to have them, we would get them right there. We would sit them down there and get them to write out all the incidents and that this person, um, they're again, writing out the pattern of behavior. And then we would, we'd be able to get them a restraining order there and then, but you really have to know your state's law and what it's going to take to get the police to be able to help you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I would also encourage anybody that might be in a situation or know somebody in this situation is because a lot of women are embarrassed. They think they can make it go away. They're shamed. Don't like you need to get help from others. You need to notify friends. You need to notify family, maybe even coworkers. You, number one, you need a support system and need others to be looking out for you if this person is around. That's a good point. And I, because it sounds like you know, to a lar- large extent, you need to treat it like you would other domestic violence situations. So for example, if you are being stalked in your work, you need to let your employer know that. You do. And that's, that rarely happens. They think they might lose their job because they might be putting people at risk. And then you don't want to have that regret of not saying something if things go bad. And, and fairly, there was a time when that would happen. Yeah, yes. There was a, a time when people would go to their employer or their boss and say, my ex keeps following me. He's harassing me. He's doing, and that might be a response. You might lose your job over that. And I think yeah. sometimes people don't realize that these laws are now in place yeah. to protect people from losing their jobs in these situations. Correct. Yes. I think that's so great that you just said that for anybody who's listening, who might have that apprehension. One thing I want to touch on for sure, for a couple of different reasons. One is I have a college age daughter. (laughs) I know you also have a family who is in college. And so that is terrible. It is terrifying to me to think about my daughter in college being stalked or harassed in any way. And yet I've read several studies that show that campus stalking is on the rise. Yeah. Yeah. And that tends to be for whatever reason, a difficult thing to identify and handle for Mm -hmm. universities. Mm-hmm. And I would say this is where a lot of that social media comes in too. But that being said, and I agree, I've heard that same thing that it is on the rise. Now, I don't know with COVID and whatever, if it's getting worse or getting better, because there's very few colleges that have so many classes in person. The same thing I would say to your daughter, my stepdaughter, anybody who's experiencing this, don't take this on yourself. In other words, Like I mentioned earlier, oftentimes, if not always, when you communicate with a stalker because you think, quote, I can handle this, unquote, and I'll get him or her to leave me alone, what really goes through the mind of a stalker is, oh, she's giving me attention and therefore that's encouraging me to continue my behavior because it's just a question of her coming around. So first and foremost, do not respond. Keep track of it. 
keep track of the person who continues to harass you, continues to stalk you, continues to bombard your social media accounts, your texts. A lot of times we have them get new phones, but keep the old ones because that's evidence is do not respond. Do not think that you are the person that can handle this. I would also go to campus authorities as well, if not the city authorities, depending on where your daughter's in college or where anybody is in college. I'd go to anybody that would listen to me. And again, don't delete stuff because we need that as evidence. First and foremost is don't try to handle it on your own. Second is do not respond. It is, I have talked to so many victims that said, I didn't realize I was encouraging him by responding. I just wanted him to go away. So I just thought if I took his call and told him I'm not interested, he would leave me alone. Or if I responded to his text and told him, stop, I asked you, this is the third time I'm asking you, I thought it would work. But to them, negative attention is still attention and it turns out to be encouragement. How do you think, or what would be a good way to evaluate violence risk, given that we know how difficult it is to predict anybody's behavior, that there's anything research has shown us as psychologists, that's it. It's very difficult because there's so many complicating variables, but we also know that there are definitely risk factors for violence. Mm -hmm. So at what, if you, like you were saying, I love that you were going, okay, Joni, if you are being stalked or Mary Beth, if you are being stalked, I'm going to do the same thing to you. I say, Mary Beth, you are being stalked. Mm-hmm. And this person is calling you. This person is kind of, you've seen him following you. What would be some behaviors? Those are obviously concerning enough, mm-hmm. but in terms of evaluating violence risk, mm-hmm. the things that would really make the hairs stand up on the back of your neck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would say that individual that sort of falls into that category of that love obsession where they expect the person to play this role. In other words, this is where you don't typically know the person or it might be a casual acquaintance and they did develop a love obsession with somebody. And in that, what I was describing earlier is they are living out this fantasy where they also expect this victim to play a role. And at first it's gonna sound like innocent and that's oftentimes where we might think we can Oh, if we just respond and say, hey, not interested, appreciate, I'm really flattered, but whatever. But he's expecting you to play this role. And as time goes on and those feelings aren't being reciprocated, this is where things start to ramp up. And so that's a massive red flag right there. In other words, it's gone from, oh, you're so pretty to you bitch, you better respond to me or you're not going to like what's going to happen to you. And that can happen with the snap of a finger because he can just become so frustrated. Obviously, that's a tactic. I have known uh, victims that say he went on the same phone call from crying and begging me to coming back to swearing at me and threatening me in the same phone call. So those are huge red flags when things are starting, quote unquote, harmlessly. And I say that in quotes, to then again, and we always have to look at context, to then ramping up to where, wow, like you're starting to go, okay, that wording is very creepy. Like he's talking about me being his wife and having three kids and all this fantasy that he's living out. And then maybe posting that kind of stuff on my Facebook page or whatever kids are using these days, Instagram, um, talking about me in a Reddit forum, et cetera, like really living out his fantasy, not only in contact with her, but on social media. So, so behavior 
you know, ramping up and then become more fantastical. You know, mm -hmm. So I'm assuming in that situation, you're talking mainly about somebody who is either a stranger mm -hmm. or an acquaintance. So yes. there necessarily hasn't been some kind of intimate relationship. Typically. Sa same question. Yeah. Now you have, and I think, because I think this is where sometimes it gets blurry for people where they've been together and you've alluded to some of this already. They've been together. They were in a romantic relationship. They've broken up and the ex is tr trying to reunite or mm -hmm. get this person back or not mm -hmm. letting this person go. Yeah. And I think what can happen is, as you pointed out earlier, is maybe the person who wants to break up is trying to let the person down easily. Mm -hmm. And so they, they keep kind of meeting to quote, just talk Yep. when in reality, the relationship is over. There really isn't anything to talk about, but this person isn't necessarily aware of how this behavior is escalating. It's right. no longer just we're breaking up and I'm trying to you know, help this person move on. This person is now potentially becoming dangerous. What would you look for in that situation? Yeah, I, again, I would be, I would look at changes in what start, again, when you talk about the specific situation you're talking about, I'm just letting them down easy. We've all done that in our years of dating before we got married. And it can typically work for somebody who processes things healthily. But if somebody that switches put on and they've become obsessed with this person and that quote unquote, letting them down easy seems like affection and it seems, oh, I knew it. I knew she really didn't want to break up with me because listen to how sweet she's talking to me. Like, you were a great guy. I'm just not ready for a relationship right now. Guess what? Sometimes persistence wins. And that can be a scary sign for that person. So if in your attempt to, quote unquote, let them down easier, your attempt to say one more time, I'm not interested, please leave me alone. If the behaviors continue, if the emails continue, if the texts continue, if the phone calls continue, if the harassment at work continues, they're calling you at work, if the social media bombing continues, that to me is beyond somebody who is trying to get back with you. Their behaviors have now become not just threatening, but if you feel the fear, that is a massive sign. That is like being sign that you're being stalked. So those behaviors, when it can start out very scary, it's what is like we talked about before, what's the context? Is that scary to me uh, that I found a cup of coffee in my locked car in my parking lot in a, in a city where I moved to a thousand miles away because I was trying to get away from somebody? Oh, heck yes, it is. Behaviors that to you and me, again, might seem simple. Oh, it's just a text. He's just He's having a hard time getting over. No, that's like the 55th text, right? So I think every situation is different and it needs to be assessed for what it is. And if it causes fear in that person, that's when we know it's a problem. And that can be at any time. It could be on the third text. It could be on the first text. It could be on the 15th. It just really depends on the person and the victim. It does. And I think also a couple of things come to mind. One is, would you have somebody who's been violent in a relationship mm -hmm. and you have a backdrop of domestic violence, Sure. then to me, that risk is our issues is just goes way up Huge. because you have somebody who, when you were in a relationship was violent to think about that person. Now you trying to get away and this person stalking you 
I think that's obviously a huge risk factor, which has been there beforehand. On the flip side of that, which is what I think what you're alluding to, and I've seen this so many times in talking with people who said, I, I never dreamed this person would begin stalking me and harassing me and threatening me because yeah. when we were together, I never saw any of that. And I think the tricky part of that is statistically 20% of people who are killed by an ex-partner, it's the first time there was ever any violence in that relationship. Yeah. And yeah. so we, we, we might feel like, oh, I know this person. We know this person in the context of that relationship. We don't know this person necessarily in the context of breaking out of that relationship. We're going to take a short, we're going to take a quick break. I'm Dr. Joni Johnston, and you are listening to The Forensic Psychologist. Hello, this is Lieutenant Randy Sutton, the host of Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement. I am a 34-year police veteran. I am also the founder and CEO of an organization that stands behind injured and disabled law enforcement officers. It is called The Wounded Blue. Our website is thewoundedblue.org. We have produced a film. It is an important film. I urge you to watch it. The film details what happens when a police officer or law enforcement officer is shot or stabbed or beaten or disabled seriously injured in the line of duty. Most people think they are taken care of medically and financially. The reality may be quite different. It is called The Wounded Blue, Service, Sacrifice, Betrayed. The film is available on Amazon, iTunes, and the Microsoft Store. A man named Robert John Bardo in 1989 in California killed an actress named Rebecca Schaefer. And she was on a show called My Sister Sam. Again, this was quite a while ago, but this is what actually inspired the stalking law which uh, in California, which was the first state ever to have a stalking law. Now, all 50 states as we sit here today do have stalking laws, including the District of Columbia, US territories, a lot of tribal codes, and the Uniform Code of Military Justice. Uh, and there's also a federal law which falls under the Violence uh, Against Women Act. That very act by somebody, that misunderstanding of whatever he saw on the screen when she was acting, he misinterpreted as a love relationship. And it's not the same thing as a domestic violence, but they're most at risk when they're breaking up with their spouses. And, and that is what I really found when I was working in the stalking unit is there was such an overlap in domestic violence cases that turned into stalking cases once they broke up with their boyfriend, partner, husband, et cetera. What is a case, obviously without breaking any confidentiality, a case that stands out for you mm-hmm. that you encounter when you are working on the stalking unit? Oh gosh, I have so many, but one of them that still sticks with me to this day, and that was a long time ago for me, is a woman who walked into the stalking unit bruised pretty much from head to toe. And that meant for us that we needed to take pictures as evidence. And she told us that she had she was using humor to get through the, I can't even imagine the emotional pain. And she said to us, I've tried to break up with him several times, but I would leave and go to my parents and my mother would answer the door and say to me, we don't have divorce in this family. You go back to that house and make it work. So there she sat in our office 
now finally coming to us instead of going to her parents because she tried to leave her husband and he beat her up to the point where she really needed to be hospitalized, but she refused to go. So that was very, that was so significant for me because I just thought to myself, wow, how would somebody turn down their daughter and not give them help and say, you go back and make it work. But again, we're talking different cultures, different mentalities in different families. It can be a religious belief. And that just, it just really stuck in my head because, and she was young, Joni, she was probably 28. Yeah, that is heartbreaking. I didn't, I was just sitting here, just not even knowing what to say when you were telling me that, because we talk about needing the support of friends and family, particularly in situations like this. Mm -hmm. And this is more than a lack of support. This this is shaming her. Yeah. Yeah. Blaming. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that is a problem. Like you were saying earlier, you can have victim blaming. It's you feel that way if you're going to the police and they aren't taking you seriously, or you feel like they aren't taking you seriously. But unfortunately, or fortunately, as victims, it's up to us to figure out what will it take to, to help me? What do, what kind of case do I need to build? In her case, I'd like to think that we helped her. We did get a restraining order. She did get out of the house with her children to a shelter. After that point, for the most part, unless they end up back in our office, we don't know the long term of what happens unless they're coming to court. So you just keep your fingers crossed that they stay in that shelter and they take the help that's given to them by either the city or the state. Do you have any idea or statistics or anything that talks about prosecution rates or how successful we are at prosecuting these cases? Mm. I actually don't have um, any statistics on that, but this is interesting. And this can make things even more scary when we're talking about stalking. But I remember I was doing actually a lecture or a presentation on stalking to a group of, and what we used to say, that I think well, you're probably a member of ATAP. So it was a group of people, people in San Diego when I was living there. And we were talking, it moved into my part of the presentation about restraining orders. And many people think, if only I can get enough evidence to get myself a restraining order, I'm going to be okay, I'm going to be safe, and he'll leave me alone. Unfortunately, yes, for the stalker that is it's like a stalker gone wrong, like a relationship gone wrong where they go, God, I didn't really realize what I was doing until I was presented with a restraining order. But there are other people where that can actually ramp up their anger and incite them into violence. And it's, so it's always a tough call um, as to whether or not to get the restraining order. And as I was having that discussion with the audience, I had an individual who really butted up against me. He said, I work for a corporation and I'm corporate security and we always get a restraining order. I said, maybe that's your corporate culture, but you have to realize there is an inherent risk that doesn't solve the problem. In fact, it can create a bigger problem. And he really argued with me in front of this whole audience. And I was like, I said, I think we should just settle by saying you have your corporate rules and your corporate way of doing things. And I respect that, but I just would like the audience to know, but that isn't, that doesn't necessarily solve. It gives you this false sense of security. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I've definitely seen cases where it escalated things, as you were saying, and it just seems to me like the message I'm hearing from you, which I completely agree with, with several different messages, but one is you can't do this alone. If somebody is stalking, you need help. 
Yes. And ideally you need the help of your friends and your family and law enforcement. Mm -hmm. And you may need advocates to help you make Mm -hmm. some decisions that are very difficult. And and like you said, have pros and cons Yes, uh, and have, and evaluate those individually based on your history, based on the context, based on what's going on versus there being some kind of blanket every time you should do A, B, and C. Yeah. I think similar to what you were saying earlier, because you, I said shame and you said blame. And I agree with you that victim blaming is that is like the biggest thing that can stop people from looking for that support system, be it the, the friends, family, coworkers, police. Again, like you were saying, now we have laws in place so that you don't lose your job, but there's still a lot of people that are embarrassed, et cetera. But it's like, when you look at the flip side of what it can turn into, and I got to be honest, when I've worked with people, not officially, like I'll have a friend call up and say, listen, I have a, a girlfriend or a female friend that's being stalked. Would you be willing to talk to her? I'm like, absolutely. So we'll get on the phone and I talk to her about document, documenting the incidents of calling the police, whatever. And you have an initial call with somebody. And I, honestly, almost every single time, you know what I hear, Joni? I hear, I just want them to go away. I just want this to go away. But unfortunately, it doesn't typically happen that way. It takes self-advocating. It takes letting other people know it takes letting the police know. And the thing that is so hard is like this, let's say after, I think it's somewhere around one year and seven months, that's the average stalking case. I don't know if that's changed. When you think about how long these cases can go on is what is the impact of stalking on the victims? So we've talked about the mental health or the lack of for the stalker, but what about the victims? Like what's the impact on them? And I would say, the biggest uh, thing would be PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Sometimes for years, that sort of hypervigilance of looking for that person around the corner, et cetera, like a phone ring and they think, oh my God, is that him again? Or a text will come through and it's, oh my God, is that him again? And so they can have eating problems. They can have loss of trust in future relationships. They can have flashbacks. They can become depressed they can live in fear combined with like things like anger, isolation, paranoia. Think about that. Like it, it can seem paranoid because of what she went through, but depending on how hard that stalking campaign was, that person launched on her, it can really last a long time. Some of the symptoms. I can completely understand that. Imagine never knowing when this person might pop up, when you might see this person. Mm-hmm. When this person might threaten you, when this person might contact you, if you've had somebody break into your house, there's a sense of, I, I can't be safe anywhere. Right. I think right. that would be so difficult to get over. Yes. Yeah. Which kind of indicates that maybe as part of that team for some people, getting some psychological help can be, or some, at least some support would be yeah. really important. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And again, there can be that same situation of not wanting to get help. And then once it's all over, at least supposedly all over of, no, it's done, whatever. There's still that embarrassment and shame. And it's that thing where you, again, getting rid of the stigma, you are a victim and you are actually a survivor and you need to work with somebody to work through what you went through. Because As I say to my students, as I say to my clients, like the more you stuff down, the more you deny, the bigger the explosion is going to be. I compare it to one of those, what do they call them? The sewer grates in New York City that are covering on any given street and steam coming through them. 
Mm-hmm. It's like, uh-uh, you've got to get that manhole cover off or it's going to blow eventually. You can't just keep stuff and stuff down there. You need to get help. Otherwise, the long-term consequences are both scary and sad. Yeah. Let me ask you this because you have such amazing experience protecting really high profile people. And I'm wondering, so you, I know that you are somebody who knows how to be vigilant and pay attention and all those things. I'm wondering if some of the strategies that you used with, you know, protecting high profile people, if somebody who thinks they're being stalked can use some of those, whether that's varying their routine, whether that's, I I don't know, is there, are there, is there any application there? Absolutely. Because, and that's a great analogy. I hadn't really thought about that, but yes, first of all, being aware of your surroundings. In other words, if you start getting like your spidey senses are up and you think someone's following you, start paying attention to your surroundings. Like, have you seen that same individual three times in your neighborhood when you know they don't belong there or on campus when you don't usually run into this person and he seems to be looking at or staring at you from across, say, uh, a courtyard on campus? For sure. And also, I'm just trying to think of all the things that came to mind when you said that. For sure, being aware of your surroundings would be true for anything, be that stalking or just anything icky, like people that just stick their headphones on and go off into the world and don't pay attention. They may be like, oh yeah, I saw that guy like four times and he was leering at me, but I just thought he was like this weird guy in campus. And you're like, okay, what, why didn't you, whatever. You don't want to blame them, but it's be more cognizant. And so what I would also say is besides being aware of your surroundings is don't discount because as females, because we are more often the victims of stalking, don't discount your intuition. If somebody, if some, someone's giving you attention that doesn't seem healthy, and I would say the same thing with like when I've had protectees that have been stalked by people, and it's me giving them the same advice. It's okay, I won't name her name. Uh, let's say her name is Lori Smith. Lori, I just want you to know that you talking to that person can turn into this. So you have to really explain to them depending on the age of the person, that talking to them isn't going to help them deflate, isn't going to help them come down from whatever fantasy they have about you, stop communication. And although that isn't something I would necessarily use in the protection field, I have used it as far as protecting a young woman. She was probably about 14 at the time. I'm also trying to think of, yes, would I alter my routes and see if somebody is following me? Yeah, that's also part of being aware of your surroundings. Being aware of, is that car following me? But a lot of times, once again, we might just jump in the car and stick in a podcast or make a phone call. We aren't paying attention to anything that's happening to us. But if you're in a situation where you think you might be being stalked or you think that you're getting some unwanted attention, then that changes the way you really should start living your life because you do want it to stop. Um, Trying to think of what else from my field. I believe this is me. I believe that mental health is important, physical health to interact, to feel confident and to be more aware of my life and how I interpret people. When I talk to people about health, I talk about physical and mental health. And in the physical, what I also tell people, and especially young women, is know at least five different self-defense moves because First of all, it makes you aware that you are in fact vulnerable. Don't, again, let's not be naive. We are vulnerable as women more so than men typically, okay? And so 
preparing ourselves for something that might happen helps us to feel more confident to prevent things from happening. It's, I think I have this way of this, this presence, this way of being the way of walking the way of whatever I lived in New York when I was getting my graduate degree and I had classes that went to 10 at night and I was not living in a nice area. It's like what I could afford. And people are like, Oh my God, I can't believe you lived in New York that long and you were never uh, mugged. And I was like, I don't know, maybe it's just like my badass style of being, but I feel that I felt confident knowing self-defense, knowing that I felt like to an extent I could protect myself. I say to an extent and a mentality of just let's not be in denial that we, at any time we can be victims. So, yeah, we are out of time. And I think this is an absolutely perfect way to close because (laughs) we've spent an hour talking about stalking and what it's like to be a perpetrator to some extent, what it's like to be a victim. And I love the fact that we're ending with you talking about ways that we can at least reduce the chances yes. that we become victims. Yes. Nobody, there's no way to, to avoid certain things or there's no guarantee. But we, if there's anything I'd like anybody who's listened to this show to know is, or to remember, it would be what you said earlier, which is listening to that intuition because we all have it and we all feel it. And it's so easy to, to, explain it away or discount it or not listen to it. Yeah, I agree. So thank you so much, Mary Beth, for coming on. This is Dr. Joni Johnston. You're listening to The Forensic Psychologist, and we'll see you next time.